Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who would describe a hymn as a banger. Of course you would. (laughs) Have we talked about dinosaur hymns on the show yet? I don't think we have. Can we talk about dinosaur (laughs) hymns really fast? So, I've told Shannon about this before. There is this hymn writer named Marty Hagen. He was really popular in the 80s. In the early 2000s, for some reason, he decided to write an entire CD of dinosaur songs for children, but they still kind of sound like his hymns. I have heard them, and I can confirm they sound like hymns. (laughs) And it's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's a delight. And very strange. I highly recommend uh, You Should See Me Soar, the pterodactyl song. Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure we're not talking about dinosaurs or hymns on today's episode. What are we actually talking about, Brian? We are not, although, boy, that would be a fun episode for me to research. It would be very quick research. It would be that one CD. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This week, we are talking about the sign of peace. Oh, man. Do I get to do more things with my hands? Not really. Okay. I wasn't sure if this was another sign thing, like with your hand sign thing. No, it's not like the peace sign, like holding up two fingers. Okay. I'm holding up two fingers. Yeah, that's very helpful for the people. That's why I told them. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a physical sign. Yeah, it's a thing you do during a worship service. Cool. Well, I know absolutely nothing about this, so tell me everything. Great. It's also called the kiss of peace or passing the peace. Or just the peace. Okay. Different people call it different things. Cool. Basically what happens during a service, priest, minister, pastor, whoever is leading it, will say something along the lines of, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And the people respond, and also with you, or, and with your spirit. Okay, now I know it's sort of, I've heard people do this. Yeah. So then the leader will say, let us offer one another the sign of peace. And at that point, everybody shakes hands, hugs, waves. Otherwise, acknowledges each other in some way. Okay, cute. (laughs) Sounds very personalized. Yeah, and you say, peace be with you to the person. Cool. Usually. So it's mostly about passing the message of peace be with you. Yeah, and a lot of times it ends up just being like, hey, how's your morning? Good. It's not necessarily what it's supposed to be, but that happens. It's the friendly part. (laughs) Great. It's the, like, it's the moment of chit-chat that is, like, allowed and also in the middle of services as opposed to, like, pre-service chit-chat. Yeah, it is kind of in the middle. Okay. So, cool. Does it come from the Bible then? Uh, it does. There are, there are some sort of biblical origins to this. The one that gets brought up a lot is from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus talks about reconciling with your brothers and sisters. We mostly talked about Matthew when we talked about the wise men. Yes. So just refresher on that. Second Gospel written about 80 CE, mostly for a Jewish audience. Thing to note about it, specifically, this was an audience that was frequently at odds with the traditional Jewish authorities. So a lot of what we see Jesus doing in this gospel is wrestling with Jewish law, debating with the Jewish leaders like the Pharisees. Okay. It's him trying to figure out how his beliefs and his new Christianity fits into a world that is predominantly Jewish in the places that he is. Exactly. We see a lot of that in this gospel. Cool. So this passage in particular that I'm pulling out comes from the Sermon on the Mount which is a famous speech that Jesus gave while standing on a mount. Cool. A mount like a mountain? or is A mountain, yeah. A mount something else. <laughs> uh, a mountain. And probably a different mountain than the Moses Mountain? Yes. Among other mountains? Famous historical biblical mountains? 
Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head which mountain this was, but I am pretty sure it's not Mount Sinai. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of mountains that get brought up in the Bible. Fair enough. I just wonder how many of them double. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying pretty sure, because who knows? Fair. I don't know. I don't have a degree in this. True. So (laughs) Jesus is standing on a mountain giving a speech. Right. And he's talking about how he's not there to get rid of Jewish law. He's explaining that people should go beyond what they already do and even more fervently follow Jewish law. So he's saying that his beliefs are Judaism plus? Basically. Okay. So what he says is, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Okay. So, if you've got some beef with somebody, you can't take an offering to the altar. Okay. You're not allowed to, like, have your moment with God until you've reconciled with the people around you. Yeah. Or, you know, in other words, make peace with them. Ah, there you go. Bringing it all back. Yeah. This is the main one that people use as a why we do it. Cool. So then this is an operationals question for you. Does that mean that this happens before communion? Like in, in the service? Because you have to make peace before you can go to the altar? It definitely happens before, but how far before varies and changes. Great. We will get into that. Because cool. Because that's a longer story. Great. That's most I was of just the episode. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad that I sort of, like, put together the pieces of what makes this interesting. Yeah. That's my question. How does this work? Is this the whole bit? It's part of the bit, yeah. Great. (laughs) Also in John, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says this after washing the disciples' feet. Yeah. So he directly says, Peace. Peace be with you. So that's another thing. Cool. The words had to come from somewhere. Yeah. We found them. It's right here. And in Luke, the risen Jesus also greets the disciples. Peace be with you. Great. Zombie Jesus. Yeah. And there's there's also um, some Jewish connections here to wishing peace upon people. Cool. Stuff that comes out of the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Cool. Um, And then in... For the, the kiss part of kiss of peace. Yeah. Why do they call it that? Well, in the first letter to the Corinthians... Paul tells the community, he's yelling at them. Okay. (laughs) I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Oh my god. (laughs) Paul! Angry Paul. So mad. (laughs) And and, uh, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So this is him complaining about This is the same get thing. your shit together. Yeah. But it's the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew, right? Right. He's just doing it angry. Yes. And then later on in the same letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, he tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss and then closing the letter. Great. Mm-hmm. So both things, do better and also kiss each other. Love each other, be less mad. <laughs> this greet one another with a holy kiss is recurring He mentions it in Romans, in the second letter to the Corinthians, and the first letter to the Thessalonians. And also Peter uses it in his first letter. Okay, cool. So it comes up a lot of times, this kiss people with peace situation. 
Yeah. Holy kiss. Holy kiss. We don't really directly tie it to peace in these letters. Okay. It's its own sort of situation. Yeah. Greeting someone with a kiss was just a common social thing in the ancient Mediterranean. Cool. Are we talking like French style kiss kiss cheek cheek? I think we are. I think that's what's happening. Great. Yeah, it was part of the predominant culture adopted by early Christians. It was also used to show acceptance into a society or a fraternity. Okay. So early Christians started welcoming newly baptized members with a kiss. Cool. Just like, we're all in. We can all kiss each other. And they wouldn't kiss the outsiders. Ah, only the people who are cool and in. Yeah. Some people think that including the kiss of peace in Christian worship services came directly from Paul's letters. So they would be reading these letters Mm -hmm. in the communities. And at the end of many of the letters, there was the instruction, greet your brothers and sisters with a kiss. And so then they would. So yeah, they would just, as soon as the letter was over, they would do it. And this would happen after all of the reading was done, but before the preparations for the Eucharist would start. Okay. This is the part of the Mass where the kiss of the peace happened. There you go. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's how that would work. However it started, we know it was officially part of Christian worship services by the early 2nd century because of the writings of Justin Martyr. Okay, cool. Second century, that's when stuff comes together. Yeah, we're starting to codify things. Yeah. In his work, First Apology, written in 155 CE, he says, When we have completed the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss, whereupon there is brought to the president bread and a cup of wine. This is not a kiss of reconciliation, really, that we talk about. Yeah. Or a kiss of peace. It's just a greeting, acknowledgement. Great. Salute. Take a moment, you greet each other with a kiss, and meanwhile, they're getting stuff ready for the Eucharist. Yeah, and then you take up the wine. Cool. Tertullian, on the other hand, he is writing about this same time, a little bit later. He talks about the kiss of peace less as a specific thing, and more just kissing as a general part of prayer. Okay. He says, what prayer is complete without the holy kiss? Adorable. (laughs) Someone I was reading compared it to... Ending prayers with amen. End a prayer by kissing a fellow Christian. Okay. This might be just part of the culture at the time, why they were doing that. It was way more common. Yeah. But as we move forward, mm-hmm. we get to about the 4th century when yeah. things always really come together. That's when, when, when stuff really starts to solidify. Yeah. We get more firmly into the area of kissing after we finish the Liturgy of the Word. Or the, Great. the all the readings. You do the readings. But before starting the liturgy of the Eucharist. Great. In one of his lectures, Cyril of Jerusalem said, Then the deacon cries aloud, Embrace ye one another, and let us salute each other. This kiss is a sign that our souls are united, and that we banish all remembrance of injury. And then they kiss. And then they kiss. There you go. Now, do we think at this point that people who had not been... Like, outsiders but who were maybe visiting were not getting kissed at this point? They were probably not getting kissed at this point. Cool. You, you probably had to have been baptized. At the very least. Yeah. But I don't know that for sure. Cool. That's just my hunch. That makes sense. I believe it. There were other church fathers around this time who were also writing about the kiss of peace, including Origen, one of our favorites, and John Chrysostom. Yep. All, all, the, all the faves coming together, oh, yeah. telling us how it went down in the 4th century. Yeah, if one of them has an opinion on something, it seems like they all do. Of course. <laughs> because from what I can tell, building a new religion in ancient times is just sending letters back and forth to each other. 
You're not wrong. And accusing each other of heresy. Councils. Yes. Lots of councils. Yeah, the heresy happens both in the letters and at councils. But yeah. (laughs) It's like, letter, 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 heresy council, letter, letter, heresy council. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) See, now we know how to build a religion in ancient times. Perfect. Too bad we're not in ancient times. It's true. (laughs) Now it would just be a lot of annoying emails that people forget to not reply all to. Mm. Man, it would be. (laughs) It totally would be. (laughs) So, at this point, this all sounds very logical progression. Yeah, sure. We do the readings, we do the kissing, we do the wine part. So anyone who's Catholic who's listening to this is probably a little confused. Oh, great! (laughs) Because the piece is not done... Right before the offertory, which is when you take up the gifts. Yeah. It's done after saying the Our Father, which is closer to when you receive communion. Okay. There's just so many parts of a service. And because I've never been to a church service, like trying to remember all these parts and that they go in a different order, I like need a whiteboard or a lot of note cards. I mentioned there's two halves of the Mass. There's Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist. Great. In this early church, the kiss of peace is Right in the middle between the two. Cool. Catholics do it in the middle of the liturgy of the Eucharist. So halfway through the second half. Pretty much. Right. So they do the reading part, and then they do the offering part, and then they do the kissing, and then they do the wine? Basically. Great. There's some details in there, but not important. (laughs) I'm sure there are. (laughs) So. Brian knows all the details. I know zero of the details, and that's why we have a podcast. (laughs) Well, I haven't been to a Catholic Mass since Christmas. Okay. So I had to refresh myself on the like details of the order of how things go. Luckily, you have multiple phone friends. I do. I also... <laughs> have it written have down it, somewhere? I have the internet. Um, also true. Catholics and Anglicans are really great at documenting everything. It's true. <laughs> I, when I was at your church and for the labyrinth, I was looking through the like book of things of like prayers and stuff they say when. And it's like, if it's a Wednesday during this time of year and this is happening, you say this line. And if it's Thursday, you say this line. They like really have all this laid out. Yeah, it's great. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I'm it's very orderly. <laughs> I appreciate how thorough it is. So anyway, Catholics are confused right now. It's fine. We're getting there. Okay. The reason that the piece might have been moved mm-hmm. from straight in the middle to after the Our Father might have come from the African church. Okay, cool. We don't get to talk about the African church a ton. Uh, we talk about the Augustine Muslim. is African You're right. church. He is. So when I don't always explicitly say it, but whenever we're talking about him. It all comes from the African church. Yeah. They ended their liturgy of the word with the Our Father. Okay. And then the piece came next. But then they moved the Our Father to immediately before communion. And they brought the peace with them. Yes. Yeah, because the Our Father includes the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. So they wanted to put it closer to the daily bread. That makes sense. (laughs) Put it near the bread. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, peace just went right along behind it. And so it would be everything... And then kiss a peace and then immediately receive communion. And is communion like the last thing? Pretty much, yeah. There's like some, there's a couple closing prayers. Cool. But it's right, it's pretty close to the end. Great. That way no one has to like sit a little tipsy on communion wine in the peace for two It's long. a very little sip. I understand. But <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I like that you like get a snack and then you don't have to like sit around for a long time. 
Oh man, when I was a little kid, I was always so jealous of everybody older. I was like, I want to be old enough to have a snack during church. <laughs> but like, also my mom packed me a snack bag. Of so course. I already had a snack. You could have had all the snacks you wanted during church. <laughs> I did. It was great. Snacks are the best. All snacks. And then you're not allowed to have snacks once you are old enough to have communion. Because you have to fast for an hour before oh, communion. Oh, right. Yeah. But then you get your snack. But the, yeah, it's not a satisfying it's not, snack. It's not a satisfying snack. <laughs> But it is a snack. <laughs> so, our father moved to the end. Mm-hmm. Kiss a piece after it, then communion. Great. And we think that everyone took that. There's a little more to it than that. We have evidence of this connection between the kiss a piece and the our father in writings that are attributed to Augustine, but maybe by Caesarius of Arles. And Arles is France, so yes. not the African church. No. And also a, a couple centuries later. Okay. It might have originated there and then and then somebody traveled. else wrote it down. Unclear on that one. But whoever wrote this said, after this, meaning the Lord's Prayer, the Pax is said, and the faithful salute each other with the kiss, which is the sign of peace. Okay. There's that connection there. There you go. It's been written down. Right. But we do know for sure that the Roman church has moved the peace by 416, when Pope Innocent writes a letter to the Bishop of Gubbio telling him to follow the Roman custom of having the peace at the end of the Eucharistic prayer. Great. So there you go. Now it's really official because the Pope said it. Well, this is also a little different still. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what all... Everything has three names. The end of the Eucharistic prayer would still be before the Our Father. Okay. For all I know, the Our Father is also called the Eucharistic Prayer. No, they're different things. (laughs) See, this is why we have this podcast. (laughs) The only other thing I would call the Our Father would be the Lord's Prayer. Okay, great. (laughs) Pope Innocent's reason for moving the kiss of peace was, By it, the people give token of their consent to everything performed in the mysteries and celebrated in the church. So his reasoning was we're we're all agreeing and accepting the Eucharistic prayer, saying, Yes, this is true. We all we all agree and believe. So he's in this. basically saying seal it with a kiss? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I believe it. Which goes back to more of the thinking like Tertullian. Yeah. But that's still not where it's settled. No. So when does it change again? Well now we get to the late sixth century. Okay, so now we're like really going. Yeah, this is Gregory the Great, who is another pivotal guy yeah. in the histories. Was he a pope? About. Yes. Great. I thought so. I he, feel like we've talked about him before. Yes, he was the first Gregory Pope. That's why he's the great. <laughs> I guess. He might have done other great things. I don't know. That's sure. But I'm pretty sure that if your name is like Gregory the... If you're Gregory the Eighth and you're pretty cool, you still don't get called Gregory the Great. Mm, you might be right. I think you get... <laughs> I think if you're the first of something and good at it, then you can take weird titles like the great. Yeah. Gregory the Great moves the Our Father from directly before communion mm-hmm. to right after the Eucharistic prayer. So now we, we No, have... that's where it just was. I thought Innocent moved it to right after the Eucharistic prayer. No, so there there's a couple other prayers that are said between. So in Innocent's version, it was Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, Eucharistic prayer. Seal it with a kiss. Continue, continue, continue. Yes. And then Gregory says... Gregory moves the Our Father from right before communion to right after the Eucharistic prayer. So we oh, go... he moves the Our Father. There yes. we go. So he's wedging the Our Father between the Eucharistic prayer and the kiss. Yes. Great. Now I know where we are again. Yes. So keeping in mind that there are also a couple other things that happen in here. I'm sure. 
<laughs> now we're getting to what looks like a modern Roman Catholic mass. Great. So question here, if all of this happened before the Great Schism, the East-West Schism, yeah. why does the Eastern Orthodox Church do their kiss of peace before the Eucharistic prayer in kind of the original location? Right in the center of the sack. Yeah. I don't know. Why, Brian? Well, there's theories. Of course. One theory is that there used to be two kisses of peace. Ooh, so much kissing. (laughs) Uh, One in each spot. One in the middle between Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist, and then one right before the Eucharist. Now, the Eucharist, but not the Eucharistic prayer? After the Eucharistic prayer. But before the Eucharist, Eucharist. Before receiving the bread and wine. Great. There we go. (laughs) So there was one in intermission, and there was one in the, like, transition space before you get bread and wine. Yeah. That's a theory. Sure. And so the the way that theory goes is the Western Church dropped the first one, and the Eastern Church dropped the second. Cool. That sounds as plausible as anything. Or the other theory is that the Eastern Church just never changed from the original way— when things got moved around and they were too much out of the grasp of Rome to ever have the movement implemented yeah. before the split. That's right. Then maybe like certain churches had like read the letter and were like, let's try this out. But it wasn't super popular because it was so far away and things were moving by messenger. Yeah, basically. Letter, letter, heresy, conference, letter, letter, heresy. Synod. Synod. <laughs> <laughs> the terrible game of Duck, Duck, Goose. <laughs> Basically. (laughs) We need to write this game. (laughs) No, we don't. Yes, we do. (laughs) So, anyway. That's the... A little bit on the the split there. Great. But moving forward in the... Well, I guess we're, we're still early enough that we're still all one church. There are more restrictions on the kiss of peace. From pretty early on in this tradition, women only kissed women. Men could only kiss men. Which is the only time I'll ever say that in a church context. Yeah. (laughs) My face is like both really excited and very confused. I thought that was fun. (laughs) I like that. But the moral of the story is we don't want any like smoochy, smoochy romantic stuff happening outside of marriage. And so we don't risk that by just like dividing up people, ladies with ladies, men with men. Right. And also probably in a lot of places congregations were divided anyway fair people on one side women on the other so you're just geographically convenient at that point yeah but also definitely on purpose oh yes (laughs) but like you're not gonna like get up to go kiss your husband who's sitting across the church because that's silly and a waste of time right probably not happening yeah or the boy you have a crush on or whatever yeah definitely not happening Unless the boy you have a crush on is sitting next to you. Mm. Mm-hmm. By the 10th century, it became the custom that the kiss was passed from the most important person to the least important person. I don't like that at all. <laughs> First, the bishop would kiss the priest, and then the priest would kiss the deacon, and then the deacon would kiss the subdeacon, and then the subdeacon would kiss the choir, and then the choir would kiss, or the subdeacon, I don't know which one, would get to the congregation finally. Okay. And but you're not ranking the congregation. Mm, you might have. Oof. <laughs> it might have gotten very petty. Yeah. Uh, it definitely got petty between the priests. I'm sure. If there's, like, multiple priests in the church at the time. Yeah. And, like, if the bishop's not there, like, who starts it? Yeah. Well, actually, the so the way they would start it if there wasn't a bishop there is the priest would kiss the altar, symbolizing 
Christ yeah. passing the kiss on But who gets to kiss the altar? If there's like three priests and no bishop, who kisses the altar? Ooh. Drama, drama, drama. It's, yeah, very much drama. I'm glad they stopped this. It feels ridiculous. Well. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they kept the pettiest version. <laughs> so one thing as I was reading this, I do not know in this version, how the women got kissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Who kisses the women? Children? Do you do all of the male children, and then the male children, like, kiss their mothers, and then it passes them? I have no idea. Unless they, they're just like, ladies, do your own thing. Also, if you're playing kiss telephone, that takes a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... But also, what did they have better to do? <laughs> I don't know. Like, how long were these services? I don't know. (laughs) I was in a conversation with some people at work the other night, and someone was talking about how they hadn't been to church in a while, and they missed the music specifically, and another person in the conversation said, I went to church for the first time in a while on Easter, and they did a three-hour play. Woof. That's a long Easter service. And I said, that, exactly. I was like, woof. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, that's never a good choice. That's the worst way to get new people to come, try to come to your church. With a three-hour play? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but it sounds like if you've got a decent-sized congregation and you're kissing one at a time, yeah. you're going to be in services forever. Yeah. Lots of time. Maybe the deacons would go around and mid-branch. Yeah. Get done quicker. I don't know. Still doesn't explain how the ladies get kissed. Yeah. No idea. The deacon's wife starts it. Deacons get married, right? Yeah. Deacons can get married. Yeah. Also, this early on, priests might have been able to get married. I forget when that got changed. Okay. Well... The wives of the highest ranking person up there doing the services starts the ladies' kiss. Something I've decided. Like sure. So another fun note, instead of kissing the altar in France, the priest would kiss the host. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's also Jesus, so we'll take it. Yeah. That one's more directly Jesus. It's very specifically Jesus, in fact. Yeah. Next development, it gets kind of weird in the 13th century. Wait, things got weird in the 13th century, man? <laughs> Never would have guessed. We invent this thing called the Pax Board. What? (laughs) It was probably invented in England. Okay. Because the first reference to the Pax Board is in a letter from the Archbishop of York in 1248. Okay, so Pax like peace. Yep. Board like, just a board. Like a board. (laughs) But what does it do? It's a little board made of metal, ivory, or wood, usually decorated with some kind of fancy carving, and has a handle at one end. So is it like a cutting board? Like that size, roughly shape? I have not actually seen one. I think it's probably a little smaller than you're thinking. Okay. But what do you do with it? Uh, instead of kissing each other... You all have to kiss the board? The priest would kiss the board, and then you would go up to the altar rail and kiss the board. So everybody Also just... time-consuming. Also, that's how you get diseases. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're going to get less diseases than if you're kissing each other? Yeah, I guess probably there's like... Less live saliva happening. They also didn't know about germs. I mean, <laughs> they thought they, they not being near correct. other people was the right thing. They to all do. thought bad air did it. So I think they thought they were doing better by doing this. Sure. <laughs> we'll give them a high five or something. <laughs> it was also mentioned in a synod in Prague that this is especially encouraged in congregations that were reluctant to exchange actual kisses. Great. If you're really awkward about touching each other. Right. Which, of course, it was invented in England. Yeah. In the 13th century. <laughs> so, but did this help or hurt the spread of the plague? I do not know. 
That would, I really hope that that's someone's doctoral thesis. Uh, me too, and I want to hear from them. <laughs> Tell us everything. <laughs> Where your epidemiology and liturgy combine happens. <laughs> Hit us with that document. So this was pretty much the standard for like all of Western Europe up until the Protestant Reformation. Okay. And then Luther shows up. Yep. And Protestants generally just get rid of the peace. They don't make a big stink about it. They just don't see it as useful, and it's connected to the hierarchy, so... And it's very time-consuming. I guess, yeah. I don't I don't know. It might have branched out. It might not have been as time-consuming as you think. Okay. Right now, it sounds like the worst game of telephone. I mean, receiving communion doesn't take that long. That's true. They have that down to a science. Um, so, Protestants generally get rid of it. Anglicans still did it for a little bit after first breaking off, but it was gone by the time the 1552 Book of Common Prayer was published. Okay. So the exception of Protestants getting rid of it was Anabaptists. Okay. They were really into greeting each other with a kiss as a way to directly follow the Bible, or Paul said, greet each other with a kiss. Great. They're following it up. Yeah, and the piece is actually still pretty important to Mennonites today. Interesting. Who are a subgroup of Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. Catholics kind of went the other way with the peace right after this. They leaned in heavy? They leaned into it as a status thing. Oh, God. (laughs) By the 17th century, it was no longer done by the whole congregation. Okay. If done at all, it was just clergy. And they did not leave the altar to pass it along. So they would just go down the ranks and then stop. But that means that everyone's still getting really petty. It's like, did you hear so-and-so kiss so-and-so in that order this week? I mean, hey, you gotta have something to do. I guess that's true. <laughs> they really they really needed their hot gossip. I guess, in the 17th century. Yeah. <laughs> this was true, that it was either just clergy or not at all, all the way up until 1970. Wow. And then the piece was reintroduced in its current form as part of the Vatican II reforms. I was gonna say, this, the 70s was Vatican II, right? So this is a Vatican II. Yeah, late, late 60s is when Vatican II happened. Cool. So they changed it now to like, it's not necessarily everyone kissing everybody, but you must do the peace acknowledgement moment Yeah. at this time. And now it happens after the Our Father, but yes. before communion. Yes. And there's totally things in between somewhere. Yes, there are Great. other things that happen. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I sort of know what happens now. Yeah, you know what the general order. That's what's important. Yeah. So We're getting there. Yeah, and around this time in the 1970s, Some Protestants also started embracing bringing back the peace. That happened with a lot of things. A lot of Protestant traditions were interested in the liturgical reforms that came out of Vatican II, and so they also picked up some of them. It came back for Anglicans in the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Okay. The next interesting thing was in the 1990s, there was discussion among Catholic bishops about moving the peace. Oh, wow. Yeah. That wasn't all that long ago. No, it wasn't. Uh, They wanted to move it from after the Our Father to before the Offertory, so to its original position. Okay. And this was mostly to bring it in line with Eastern Christianity and with Protestants. All right. So everybody was doing it all at the same time. There you go. But that didn't go over so well? No, it didn't end up happening. Fair. Still in the same spot. And today, most people are not kissing each other in the pews. Because God forbid. Yeah. Oh, a scandal. Kissing. And in my experience, it's especially, it's a little more stiff in Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you shake hands with the person on your left. You shake hands with the person on your right, in front of you, behind you, maybe like 
a wave to someone down the pew, if you know them. But that's usually it. And just okay. peace be with you. That's it. Yeah, some people will kiss, especially, like, spouses. Sure. Some people will hug. This happens more often in liberal churches or churches at colleges. Yeah. But not that often. If you're on a retreat, people get really into it. Oh, great. <laughs> You've been up for, like, the whole weekend. Everyone is crying. It's... You're, like, all just hugging it out. Yeah, you have a moment. <laughs> Fair. This sounds totally like you're speaking from personal experience, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I've done this. <laughs> yeah. In Protestant churches in general, it tends to be a bit more lively. People get up, walk around, shake hands with people a couple pews away, say hi. That Check kind of in. Yeah, more hugging, more conversation. Part of the reason that this could be is because the official Catholic instructions for the sign of peace are, it is appropriate that each one give the sign of peace only to those who are nearest and in a sober manner. The priest may give the sign of peace to the ministers, but always remains within the sanctuary so as not to disturb the celebration. He does likewise if, for a just reason, he wishes to extend the sign of peace to some few of the faithful. Okay. Very fancy. Very fancy. And also, you must not disturb the sober celebration that is happening in the pews. Yeah, it's funny that it's both sober and a celebration. Yeah, yeah very specific. Yeah, because we, we call it celebrating mass. There you go. But also, Catholics are, in general, are not reading these instructions for the peace. Sure. It's more of a cultural thing. That makes sense. So it probably varies a lot, congregation by congregation. Yeah. In Orthodox churches, it's usually just the clergy who's doing the peace. Sometimes the congregations will do it. It really depends on the individual, mm-hmm. like, uh, where the church is. Sure. What tradition it's from, that kind of thing. Makes sense. A couple other fun notes about the peace. I love a fun note. Yeah, the local diocese is allowed to determine what the specifics of the interaction are. Okay. Like, is it culturally appropriate for it to be a handshake? Maybe. In some places like India or Thailand, people bow instead. There you go. That's smart. I like that. Yeah, the U.S. does not prescribe anything in particular. Just interact. Pretty much, yeah. Have a moment. Yep. Say peace be with you. Yes. And the other fun one is at various times in history... The kiss of peace did not happen in the few days before Easter because it reminded people too much of Judas's kiss of betrayal. Awkward. <laughs> and I love it. I started laughing so hard when I That's read that. That's great. No kissing. <laughs> no kissing. You look like Judas. <laughs> Things children in Sunday school say. <laughs> oh, God, that would have been me. <laughs> yep. All right, that is what I have on the sign of peace, kiss of peace, the peace. The peace. Awesome. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. I'm ready. Who are we talking about this week? This week, we have Saint Gumaris. Gumaris. All right, tell me more. He was born in 717 in Brabant, Belgium. Okay. He was the son of the Lord of Emblem, a court official, and he received no formal education and couldn't read or write. But this didn't matter much because he grew up serving in the court of Pepin the Short. Adorable. Yeah. I wonder if that was a nickname during his life. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I feel like I wouldn't like it. <laughs> I mean, if it's true. Some people are just like, I'm sure, and that's a thing. That's fair. <laughs> 
So Gumaris was known for being faithful in his every duty and liberal in his works of mercy. Because of this, Pepin raised him to a high post in court. He also arranged a marriage between Gumaris and a woman of noble birth named Guinan Marie. Sure. It's spelled weird, guys. I And I looked. No one has pronounced it on the internet, so I'm not sure how to say it. I'll give you that. We'll forgive you. <laughs> Both of these people agreed to the match. Wow. Yeah. Everyone's agreeing to this wedding? Yeah. No one's running away to pledge themselves to God? No. Yet. <laughs> no one runs away until much later. They give it a good go. Okay, well, keep telling me then. <laughs> this was not a happy marriage. But they both agreed to it. They both agreed to it. But they weren't They happy. thought it would work. Gumaris believed that God willed this marriage as a way for him to perfect his virtue. Oh, wow. That's so, harsh. <laughs> so he's stuck with it. Uh, his wife, whose name I'm going to stop trying to pronounce, she was extravagant, cruel, and capricious. So she's the evil stepmother from Cinderella. She might be. Sounds like it. <laughs> this is also the 8th century, so she might have just had opinions. <laughs> she could also have just been a lady with feelings. Which I, the, the more I read of this, the more I started thinking that. Oh, she just has a personality. Oops. <laughs> she made life very difficult for her husband, but still he tried to encourage her to be more reasonable and follow Christian teachings. So she was not very Christian then. She was not. She was very selfish and liked to spend money on herself instead of giving it to the poor. Ah. One day, the two of them were sitting together under an old oak tree. Like you do with your wife you hate. Yeah. I don't know. They tried. It seems sure. like they tried. Sure. We'll give them that. But she was so cruel that the oak tree that they sat beneath, an old sturdy oak tree, cracked and broke, falling to the ground. Did it kill her? No. Oh. It just fell. Her cruelty was just enough that it broke a tree. Oh my god. <laughs> Kumaris removed his belt, wrapping it around the fractured tree, which immediately mended itself and bloomed. Oh, he fixed a tree. He did fix a tree. <laughs> After several years of this terrible marriage, Gumaris was called away to serve in Pepin's army. He was gone for eight years. During this time, his wife was abusive to the servants and vassals. She even refused the reaper's beer at harvest time. God forbid. <laughs> I'm sure that's worse than it sounded yeah, when I read I'm it. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure someone was very offended. Yes. Everything was in disorder, but Gumaris was determined to make it right when he returned. He made full restitution to every person who was harmed in his absence. His wife was so moved by his kindness that she vowed to repent. However, this change was not long-lived, and her, quote, willfulness broke out again worse than ever. Oh my god. <laughs> I also like the idea of vowing to repent as opposed to just repenting. They're like, I promise I'm gonna say I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I guess I, I didn't think of that. Yeah. She doesn't actually repent. She just says she's going to. Is repenting the saying or the doing? I don't know. But if you vow to repent, like repentance isn't a vow. Really? I feel like it is. I, I don't know. I don't know. Semantics. This is a different theological <laughs> argument than the one we're talking about with this scene. <laughs> so Kumaris tried to rein her in, but he eventually gave up and the two separated. Ooh, you were allowed to do that? I don't know if they were allowed. They did. Okay. Um, they never had any children together. But after his wife left, Gumaris went to Nivensnak and became a hermit. Later, he went on to found a monastery in Lear with St. Rumald. And he lived there until he died of natural causes at the age of 57. 
Aww. So, I mean, he didn't do anything, really. He fixed a tree. He did fix a tree. And he tried really hard to make his wife better. He really did. <laughs> so. But she is a hundred times more interesting in this story than he is. <laughs> I think so, too. I want to I get to know her. Yeah, I want to hang out with her. <laughs> I want to figure out what makes her so cray. <laughs> like, is she actually mean or is she just opinionated? I couldn't tell. <laughs> I know. Because sometimes it sounds like she's not that bad and sometimes she sounds like a rule bitch. <laughs> So, I have a lot of questions about her. So, we will leave questions about her for another day. Great. There's nothing else to find about I'm her. I'm sure. <laughs> what is St. Gumaris the patron of? All right, my joke answer is against capricious wives. You're not far off. Unfortunately, I'm sure. Uh, but I really think, is he the patron saint of arborists? <laughs> he is the patron saint of woodcutters. Okay, which is different than arborists, but I thought that maybe fixing trees would get you yeah. a patronage for arborists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what did I? What what is he actually the patron of? So his full list is against hernia, which I don't know. Sure, someone had to do <laughs> uh, it for carpenters, for childless people, for courtiers, for cowherds, against difficult marriages, for glove makers, for separated spouses, for turners, and for woodcutters. Okay. So so not quite against capricious wives, but against but, difficult marriages. Yeah, you were very close. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I did have one note that I remembered while Shannon and I were taking a break. I wanted to sneak in before the end. One thing that I never said, the sign of peace, kiss of peace, whatever is called, is it is also referred to as passing the peace. Which is cute. Yeah, more often that's true in Protestant circles or evangelical circles if they do it. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, go on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. Subscribe, which is a great way for more people to find the show. Write us a review or rate us so more people can find the show as well. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com, tweet at us at school number four heathens, or like us on Facebook at school number four heathens. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for his music for the show. Check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And thank you so much to David Griffin for dealing with all of the sirens that drive by as we try and record at Brian's house. With any luck, you didn't hear any of them. If he did his job well, you didn't hear any of them. <laughs> and now you're really impressed with David. <laughs> thank you all so much. And amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. <laughs>